The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you could join me for today's show. I'm Diane Ray. Thanks for tuning in to Be Present. I'm really excited about this interview, this person that we're going to be talking to today. We're going to be digging into the subject of Kabbalah and also under the context of Kabbalah as a new paradigm of global spirituality. How does this all fit in? And I've been so interested in Kabbalah, but I just haven't really educated myself about what it is or you know, what it means. So I'm really excited to have my guest here today. So if you're not familiar with Kabbalah, it's an ancient spiritual wisdom that was once only studied by scholarly, religious, married Jewish men over the age of 40. And it's a system of universal wisdom that teaches the individual and the world as a whole how we can improve our lives. And back in 1969, Rav Philip Berg became the director of the Kabbalah Center, and together with his wife, Karen, they sought to make the wisdom of Kabbalah accessible to everyone. So they expanded the Kabbalah Center to an international organization in the effort to share this wisdom with everybody. So under their leadership, the Kabbalah Center has grown from a single location into one of the world's sources, leading sources of spiritual wisdom. There's more than 40 centers around the globe that provide instruction and community to tens of thousands of students. And my guest today, Karen Berg, has continued this work, and she has really opened the gates of Kabbalah to men, women, gay and non-Jewish students, everybody all over the world. And Karen Berg is my guest today. She continues to work tirelessly to spread the messages of peace, respect, love, and kindness. So Karen, I'm so happy we could connect. You know, we We've been trying for a couple of weeks to work this out, and so I'm really glad that I could talk to you today. Diane, it's my pleasure to be with you, and hopefully we can enlighten a few more people on the way to the teachings. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is so great because, um, you know, I'm new to the teachings, and I've heard about it, but I never really understood you know, what it is or how it can help me in, in my daily life. So maybe you could just give us, first of all, kind of a brief explanation. I mean, I explained a little bit about what Kabbalah is, but just your definition of Kabbalah for people who don't know. Well, first of all, we believe, we believe, the center has a preface that everything is a matter of prospectus, that when you see things, like if you look at somebody lovingly, you will find a loving relationship coming back to you. Because the creator gave us the word Kabbalah in Hebrew means to receive. The, the way of receiving fulfillment in our daily life through the things that we do that can, be, that can prepare us for lasting fulfillment. And how do we play this game that we call life in a way that gives us the, the points? How, if we act this way, what is the response? cause and effect. If we give of ourselves, how much do we get back to ourselves? And it explains it in a way that is, I mean, it's logical. For instance, 
you know that you don't jump off a, a 15-story building because you know you're going to gravity is going to drag you down to the floor. Well, also there are spiritual rules and regulations that also do the same types of things, and those. Those are the key markers within the teachings that allows us to see, aha, this happened to me because of something else that I had done. Life in itself, as far as our teachings are concerned, are things that we do to create things in our lives. And it's a cause and effect relationship to see that, to be able to perceive our life and say, I know why this has come to me, or I know why I've gone to this place. This is what the teachings are about, to, to, to make us aware, the perspective of life as it exists every day for each one of us. And it gives us a lot of beauty and understanding into things heretofore we just thought was, you know, perhaps something happens or was it God's fault? No, the creator is never in a place of doing something to us. It's what we do to ourselves that creates the actions that happen in return. That's what the teachings are about. How to understand that, how to how to perceive things in a different way and have a different perspective. That we're really not victims. Where, where we think that we're just, you know, powerless over a lot of things going on in our life. We really are contributing to everything that's happening in our life. A hundred percent. I like to say that there's no such thing as victims. There are only volunteers. We come back into this world with things. So we believe in reincarnation. And so I'm saying we come back into this world with the things that we hadn't finished when we were here the last time. And that's a very uh, an interesting perspective where a lot of, you know, traditional uh, Jewish and Christian doctrine rejects the idea of, of reincarnation where Kabbalah embraces it. Yeah, well, you know, there is such a thing as the law of conservation of energy. And it says that energy never dissipates. It simply changes forms. Now, if we understand that life, the thing that makes us move in our body is this energy. We call it the soul, call it what you want. And that energy is in, in balance, total balance into who we are. That never dissipates. If that truly never dissipates, and when we leave this body, so what happens to that energy? Does it go to another form? We believe that it simply either takes another form, or if we finish the job that we came here for, can sit in a place of divinity. And that always made so much sense to me. I think even Einstein said that energy doesn't die. It, right. it never can be extinguished, right? Mm -hmm. that, that it can never, it's only transformed, you know? And the human body is electrical in every way. You've written several books, but the one that I've really been kind of diving into is one of your first books, and it's called God Wears Lipstick. Uh -huh. And you go into a great explanation of uh, using a light bulb as kind of a metaphor, um, and also the the idea of electricity, explaining our our human energy in a way. And I thought that was so brilliant. It just made so much sense to me. Could could you explain that a little bit for us? We believe that what we put out into the world, right, is that which what comes back to us. So if we extend so much effort onto one thing or to or to the other thing, it is seen. And how is it seen? It's seen by the amount of capacity for spiritual energy that we, we, if we don't search, we can never receive. And I believe that that's, that's one of the things that, that needs to happen in this world. Like, how do you know it's working? They turn on the light. It, electrons and neutrons meet, you, you, get, you get a light force, right? How do you get that? By the capacity of 
of being on a spiritual level that we can receive that energy. And before you were introduced to the teaching of Kabbalah, I mean, your your spiritual life was was that very traditional or, or what was that like? I mean, what were you taught growing up? Well, first of all, uh, I think if you read the introduction, you know that I pretty much raised myself. My father died before I was born. My mother was a young woman looking to find her life. And I sort of was raised by myself. And uh, I don't want to go into the whole thing. We don't have time. But uh, I went to 13 public schools in eight years. And I learned practically nothing, you know, through the different states, and et cetera. But in any event, when I was about 11 years old, I was tied and thrown into a pit by a bunch of kids that thought that I was some kind of a freak because I was very different. And I was crying my head off. And suddenly I heard a voice come to me and said, why are you crying? And I looked and I just saw something that looked like a smoke screen. And I was like, for that moment, just so frightened I couldn't do anything. And it answered again, said again, why are you crying? And I said, because I, I'm, I'm here and I don't know if anybody's ever going to look for me. I, I don't know what's going to happen. He said, he answered me. He said, you're protected. You'll always be protected. And with that, he leaves, leaves me in this place. A few hours later, I hear the scuff of people going by. And two men, I start screaming out loud, as loud as I could. And two men come by and they pick me up. They get me out of this place. Now I needed to learn. I needed to understand what this voice was. What is it about? What is my role? And I taught myself. I taught myself to read. I taught myself uh, anything that I could find in the, in the field of esotericism until the time I was around 20 years old where I, where, where I started to learn um, healing and, and uh, all kinds of different ways of meditation and all of those things. But my, my family, we had no religion at all in my house. We had nothing, no nothing, not even just period. But myself, somehow from the moment that I was very little, before that even, I knew that something existed beyond myself. That, that was sure to me. I've always felt that way as well, although I I was brought up Catholic and I always had questions. You know, like I, I would always ask questions when, you know, I was in Sunday school and then asked the nuns questions. But I, I really, um, like, re I mean, I resonate with what you're saying of, you know, hearing that voice. And I think mm -hmm. all of us are trying to reach that and be able to to hear that voice and have a, a relationship and a, a dialogue and a daily, you know, a daily touchstone that, that we're able to access that voice all the time. And you've found that through the study of Kabbalah. Is that right? So you're able to really have a, a relationship with that voice. Well, Kabbalah came later, right? When, when, when I started to learn Kabbalah, I, I realized that for me, the teachings of Kabbalah was the answer to all of the questions that I had previously had, because it's, you know, it's one of the oldest uh, spiritualities. It came down actually at the time of Sinai, when, they, when the Torah was given to Moses. And it's the seat of, of all Judeo-Christian, uh, even the esoteric religion. Well, in the book, you call uh, Kabbalah the seed of all spiritual teachings. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> right. I, is that I, is that true? I believe that that is true because it is like it's like the mother of the teachings because it was primary. It was the first. Okay, and I do believe that that's true. However, I need to say, and I do believe this, that um, 
when we pray to the creator, and I don't mean this in a way of disrespect, but <clears throat> a dog knows its master. It, whether he's lying down or in clothing or not in clothing or whatever he's doing, a dog will sense his master, which means that if we pray in any language or if we want to reach the creator in any way, even jumping over a stick, he will know that's in earnest. Our way to the creator is our own. In other words, whether it's through the church and Christianity or through the temple or through Buddhism or whatever it is, our way, our way of communication is our own. But there is a unity of the light force of the creator. That, and that light force would be known to the creator regardless of how we pray to him. That, that's my understanding. And the creator would be a, as one, right? <clears throat> as one. The unity right. of the light force. Yes. And that's really one of the basic principles of Kabbalah, isn't it? Just that we're we're all connected to that one, uh, the, what you call the light force, the light source. Exactly, the light source. We're all collected in our own way, right? In our own way, meaning that if uh, if I felt the urge to go to church every Sunday and do absolution and be a part of that, and it it made me feel whole in myself, then the Creator is happy with that, or whatever else. I choose to do to find my way to to the creator. He would be happy with that. It just in the wholeness of the one of that light, it's the same. At the end, it's the same. The light is the same. What does it mean? I have to become a better person. I have to be kind. I have to have human dignity. I have to have respect for each other. This is the spirituality. That makes so much sense to me. And, you know, it seems like there's such a great balance in Kabbalah, you know, the giving and receiving. And one of the ground rules that I I took from from what I've been reading in Kabbalah is that you're conditioned to share. And it's not, and you say it's not a condition that we're we're kind of hardwired to do that. And I just was hoping you could elaborate a little bit on that. You know, how have we gotten so out of balance? You know, when a child, when a baby is born, there's a series of, of tests that they do called the APCA reflexes. Basically, what they do is they open up a child's chest and it naturally comes into each other. It comes back into that position. You open the hand and it actually goes back into a grab, meaning that when the child is perfectly healthy, he is born simply with the desire to receive for himself alone. He's totally engulfed in the, in the oneness. Our job in this world is to turn that around. And yes, though we want only for ourselves, there's only one way we can receive that. And that's by learning to share with others, learning how to act with others, learning how to respond with others. And it's a beautiful tradition, the, 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 uh, the Judeo uh, tradition, is that when a man dies, they, they open his hands so that it's sort of like a symbolism that I came into this world as a total desire for myself and I've left this world the understanding of the only way I can be part of the greater good is, there's no way I can receive without sharing. Right, the giving and the receiving. Right. No, I, I just wanted to say that that if we have that understanding, like for instance, um, you have a, a there's a party going on, and this very wealthy man happens to glance out the window and he sees a poor beggar going by, so he turns to the guy making the the party and says, "You know what? Ask that guy to come in. He looks like he hasn't had a meal in years, in, in days." Have him come in and, and give him something to eat. So the guy goes out and he says, hey, you know, 
we're making a big party in here. We got some food. We'd like you to have some. He says, no, thank you. Guy doesn't know what to do. He goes back, talks to the host and says, hey, guy doesn't want your food. He says, what do you mean he doesn't want my food? He walks outside and he's now, he's talking to the guy. He says, come on inside and eat. And he says, no. And this whole conversation goes on, like for 10, 15 minutes. Now the host is irate. What do you mean you need this? With that, the hungry man turns to him and says, all right, if it means that much to you, I'll eat. What's happened here? Who's really the receiver? The host is the receiver. Because with every bite that man takes, he's receiving pleasure in it, right? Right. And the man and the rich man and the poor man, what is he doing? He's now capable of giving. This is the way we should work in our life, that if it means that much to you, when we see things around us and there are things that we can do for people that are not very difficult, but if we do them, it would mean so much to them. Those are the things that, that create for us, the, if you will, the, the points. You know, wow, that was a good thing to do. Just, just to hold somebody's hand or to give them a hug when they need it. Those things create the difference. And in those things are the things that oftentimes we don't forget. Well, that does seem to be that really are, we really are supposed to be inherently good, right? Like a lot of studies that I've read about, you know, the theory of evolution where Darwin was saying, you know, a survival of the fittest, that in reality, it's cooperation is what makes survival possible, that species have learned to to work together. And that's how things have been able to, you know, evolve over the years, not, you know, taking over and conquering. And it seems like that only that feeling only comes out in times of disaster, right? Like people could be fighting against each other, but then if there's a tidal wave or, you know, earthquake or something, then people will work together. And, yeah. you know, I'm wondering how, how can we kind of strip away the, you know, the, the hatred and, and the, the differences that we feel are insurmountable until there's a disaster. <laughs> it's like, it only seems that that goodness that really is inherent in us comes out in a disaster. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And the reason I, well, I, I like to say the only animal that will kill for no reason is man. You know, every other animal has a, has a survival instinct and they kill for food or protection, but they don't kill for no reason. The only one that will destroy a man's reputation or take him down is man. And I think, it, you know, it, it, there's a, a Bible quote that says that the fancy of a man's heart is evil from his youth. We're born with this desire to achieve, to be, to conquer. That's that the desire for myself alone, okay? Our job is to convert that, and this is what I was talking about before, into a desire to, yes, I truly want to receive the whole world, but I must know the only way that I can do that is by changing, by sharing, about giving, about being a part. When we learn that, only when we learn that can we change that inclination. The inclination is for me and mine and my. And the whole purpose of our life is to change it into a we instead of a me. That, that's so true. And, you know, in the reading that I was doing as well, um, you know, to kind of prepare for this, what really surprised me, like a lot of my women friends that seem to have kind of turned away from any spiritual study or, or spirituality in general, you know, their complaint is that they say, well, when you start studying the Bible, it's just so patriarchal and, you know, demeaning to women or keeping women down. But from what you're explaining in the teachings of Kabbalah, 
it really isn't that we're we're misinterpreting those those teachings in the Bible, those stories, that they really aren't patriarchal and that it, it really is empowering to women. Well, so we're there we're we're missing out on something, right? <laughs> we're we're not understanding as women. Well, you know that well, according to the stories of the Bible, you know, Abraham sent out his wife uh, uh, and, and son, Yishmael. Why did he do that? It was his only son at that. It, it was, you know, at, no, it was after Isaac was born. It says, whatever Sarah tells you, that's what you should do. Okay. And there are many different places. What was, what was true is that the Bible sort of made it as internal. In other words, the things that happened between the matriarchs and the patriarchs was internal. The, her, his love for his, his wife uh, and being told to, and to, to speak with her. Bacha, who was the sister of Pharaoh, who drew Moses out of the water or, or, or even, you know, even the Virgin Mary. I mean, these are the women that created the space for those people to become who they are. So can you say that they are less than? I don't think so. Today, more and more women are becoming in the forefront because they, they represent, in Kabbalistic terminology, the world of malchut, the world of kingdom, the world in which we live. And therefore, you will see more and more politicians and in the business world and all over, more women taking, taking place of, of a higher nature. The reason for that being, it says that the eventuality of the final coming will happen when the world of kingdom, which is female, and the world of the male will have an equality. And, we're, and slowly but surely, we're seeing that more today. Look what's happening in the world. We have a, a larger gay population today than we had 20 years ago. We have people joining together that would never have thought that they could do such a thing in years past. All of these evolutions that are happening are bringing us to a time when there will be an equality between male and female. And you you mentioned, um, you know, homosexuality, gay people. I mean, I was trying to read, you know, what Kabbalah thinks about that. And I know uh, the studies are very, it's very inclusive. I mean, you want to bring everybody into this. And I liked your explanation of that being, being that homosexuality isn't a choice, right? Mm -hmm. That, that people are, are born this way, that to maintain dignity, that we, we wouldn't exclude them. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but how, how would you explain that? Well, we, it's explained by the, you know, there is a book called the Zoho, which is the main text of Kabbalistic writing. And it says uh, that when uh, uh, there's a copulation, when there's a copulation and the couple and the female is more dominant than male, sometimes what happens is that a female soul enters into a male body. And this explains why a person is born gay, uh, male. And uh, of course, it's true of the other side, where it's female, where it's lesbian. But the point being, if, if people are born to be who they are, I don't think in our world we have the right to be God's policeman in that sense. As long as, of course, people don't hurt each other and don't cause inflict pain or are not evil, then we have no right to judge anybody, really. Right, and as long as they're working towards, uh, you know, leaving the world a better place and and 
bettering mankind and, and you know, helping each other and, and sharing and, and loving each other, then right. that, uh, yeah, that other stuff should really not make any difference. Exactly. And that's the way we feel. And that's why people find a home here where other places, you know, it's very difficult for them under the, under the strict religious orders. Right. And I really like that explanation. Um, I found I found that online It's because I was doing some research because I was wondering what, you know, the actual thought was about homosexuality. And I thought that was that was interesting that the belief is that it it isn't a choice, which I, I totally agree with. And I, I think that's so true and that you wouldn't want to have the other have that person lose lose their dignity as right. a human being. Exactly. For so many years past, in the years past, in the 1950s, 60s, etc., I mean, people were jailed. I mean, uh, and and God knows all kinds of things happened to them simply because they were gay. So, yes, of course, we have a larger population to get today because there is with all the chaos that we see, there's a tr- tremendous amount of freedom in the air that never was there before. And you had mentioned the Zohar, and could you just give a, a brief explanation of the Zohar? Because I thought that was so fascinating. I had never heard of that before. Sure. The Zohar is what we call the main text of Kabbalistic teachings. It is an explanation of different writings within the, the Bible. And basically, it's called Zohar because Zohar in Hebrew is light. And it's also noted as the Book of Splendor, meaning that if one was to read the Zohar, you would take a concept, I would take another concept, somebody else, that it would a- apply to a person on the level of their spiritual growth at this particular time. So the Zohar is an explanation of the, the, the five books of Moses in terms of, it says, but it's not a direct explanation. In other words, it goes into an esoteric conversation about different points that we read. And it is a very, very highly esoteric book in that a lot of people find it very difficult to read and it needs explanations in other ways. And that's why our teachings, the classes that we give, breaks down those teachings into the day-to-day kind of a thing. But the Zohar itself, which is known as the main text of the Kabbalistic workings, is, is still difficult. We use it, we give it to people, and we tell them put it in the bedroom as, as sort of like an amulet to, to be able to, to keep that good energy in the house, and et cetera, and so forth. Yes. Well, I like that explanation. Thank you for, uh, for clearing that up for me. We're just going, going to take a short break and continue our conversation here with Karen Berg. I'm Diane Ray, and thank you so much for listening. We'll be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, Please make your donation today by going to UnityOnlineRadio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder. 
taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads the banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine, or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all. Give someone you love the gift of inspiration with a subscription to Unity Magazine. Each issue has interesting articles and compelling interviews from some of today's most prominent spiritual thought leaders. Explore new ideas in health, science, spirituality, and a lot more. Send gifts to your family and friends and save $7 off the subscription rate. Get a one-year subscription for just $14.95. This offer ends on December 31st, so go to unity.org to find out more. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore and other legendary Unity teachers with Reverend Bob Brock and Unity Classic Radio. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central, Bob shares original radio transcripts from the Unity archives with truth students worldwide. Explore these timeless teachings and learn how to apply them to your life today. Listen live or on demand. You can also connect with Reverend Bob on his Unity in Action Facebook page. Tune in every Tuesday here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. And welcome back. Thanks for joining me after the break here. I'm continuing my conversation with Karen Berg. And we're talking about Kabbalah and also in the paradigm of a global spirituality. So really the first part of the show was kind of Kabbalah 101 for me, just so I could really educate myself and find out a little bit more about these teachings. And it's just so fascinating and so empowering. The more I'm learning, I'm really curious to kind of continue on now. I've just, you know, kind of scratched the surface a little bit. So, um, so Karen, I just I wanted to ask you too. We were talking a little bit. We touched on the belief of reincarnation in Kabbalah, where you know most Jewish uh, traditional Jewish uh, teachings and Christian teachings don't really explore this. So I wanted to ask you too about astrology and numerology are also uh, two uh, philosophies, I guess, that are taught in Kabbalah where they're kind of shied away from in other traditions. And how are, how are these two practices used in Kabbalah? Well, first of all, 
See, we believe that any tool that, that affords you to see people differently is something that we should explore. Astrology certainly does do that. Now, we do believe that it does impel, but it doesn't compel. In other words, if somebody is born at a, at a given time, at a given date, etc., so it says that X should be. Because, for instance, I have, I have two friends, twins. Their lives are totally different, but they were born five minutes apart, you know? So it isn't the be-all and the end-all, but it is a tool. It's a way to see how, how couples... Uh, relate and, and not relate, to see problems that can happen there. And it's it's certainly a very, I like it as a very nice tool. You meet somebody or, 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 or family members, and you can do a birth chart, and you can say, well, now you can see what certain problems are, and also how to prevent them, and also how to help them. So it is a tool, and a, and a great tool. The morality is, this, you know, the whole book of the Bible is a code. And to differentiate between the codes, these are the these are the tools, like different types of understanding of the of the letters, you know, and how they sit. I mean, there's I think there's a whole book written, which I have forgotten the name of, showing the the Bible code, and how the numbers fit so beautifully into a a a, a puzzle that explains. The numbers in relationship to the actions of the Bible. It really is fascinating when you look at it that way, because there there are a lot of number sequences and, and things that come up in stories in the Bible. And with astrology, though, I'm, I'm interested in that because I know that you you've been interested in astrology for a long time, and I wonder why people are so quick to discount it when, to me, it seems a lot more like a science. Than a lot, a lot of other things we may, you know, be in, involved in. I mean, planets do move in certain ways, and even in um, in the Indian school, the Vedic astrology, which is very exact at the at the moment that you're born, they, you know, they kind of mark that down. You know, that's an important factor in your astrological reading. And like you had mentioned, the the two twins that were so very different, even though they're mm -hmm. twins, depending on the on the time that they were born. Right. Are people just afraid to kind of look into that or just easily dismiss it? Listen, people, look, I, I'm a searcher, you know, and I like to see things that, that, that show me things that are different than the moon. There are people that are very happy with the life as they live it, you know, and they don't want anything to disturb that. So astrology, what do you mean? Somebody's going to tell me because I'm a fire sign and my wife is, a, is, a, is an earth sign. And this and that and the other thing, and that's why we, we were having problems. The answer is maybe so, but they don't want to know that, you know. Right. They, they just don't want to know that. And there are people that are not interested in spirituality at all. Those people maybe, maybe are not interested in anything that's away from the, of their norm. Right. So they just immediately look at it with suspicion. And I think even people that would say, you know, oh, astrology is just, you know, a game or something fun to do. Even if you if you look at at the personality traits, they're they're really very bright on. Yes. In yeah. a lot of ways. I mean, especially like I look at mine, I'm I'm a cancer June twenty seventh, and I, I see a lot of a lot of the traits. I mean it it is, it's undeniable. Yeah, that's right. And once you have that, you know, and you know, 
you know, the, 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 the time you were born, so, you know, the rising sign and the moon, you have a pretty good idea of the character of the person that you're dealing with. And I, I think that's, that sometimes, oftentimes if you're going to go into a partnership in business or marriage or any of those things, it's an important part. It's something, I mean, if you have a tool that may not be 100% accurate, let's say, let's give it that, right? But you have an 80%. Why not use it in your life? Why not apply it? You don't have to. It's not a God. It's not something that you believe in like you would a deity, but it's certainly a help. Right. That's true. And something that could give you a little more insight into, you know, maybe helping you make decisions or when you first meet somebody to kind of get a better handle on that person and, and their personality. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. It may not be totally an exact, you know, science, but I mean, people spend years studying it. it it's so it, it yeah. seems to me very exact though very in, involved it is it is but for the there are so many people that that don't understand quite you know and also maybe people there are people that just don't want to know <laughs> you know they love their life the way it is and don't make it difficult for me so but i don't think that's the kind of people that would be listening to your show your show is people that are spiritually inclined and elevated to go to the next level and they would be interested in things like astrology and numerology oh i think so i mean i'm interested in all of those things <laughs> that's why i love to talk to people like you because i i just learned so much and i wanted to ask you too i've been uh, i shouldn't say struggling but working or practicing on a meditation practice for the past couple of years and i was looking on your website and you have a course that you're offering that teaches very specific meditation practices that are taught in Kabbalah, you know, practices for physical healing, um, healing the environment, you know, things that are, are very exact. And so I just wanted to ask you about the importance of a meditation practice in Kabbalah and maybe what your own practice looks like. Well, you know, we like to say that when we pray, we're talking to God and when we meditate, he's talking to us. And yes. what that means is that when you are able to quiet your mind. And when you're capable of being just involved in the beauty that is around you, then you have the capacity to, to feel and be a part of, of that voice. Because what, if we have a noisy brain, which most of us do most of the time, it's almost impossible to to feel or to be a part of that energy that wants to be part of us, it wants to speak to us. So that's why I would think even for a novice, a beginner, I wake up in the morning and I, I you know, I do my thing and I, and at the end of that, I just, I, I thank the creator for being here and allowing me all the great things and, that he's given me in my life. And then when I get done with that, I sit down and uh, I just try to put myself into a space of just being and trying to find my way into this world, into this, into this vast space. I fall, I wind my, my energy into a little ball and go beyond. And when I'm out there, I sort of feel myself looking for, tell me what your message is for today. What do I have to do? And I think that if people tried that for 10 minutes, no longer than that, in the morning, in the evening, they may find their life a little bit calmer than it is today. 
I've been working on that to myself. And then, you know, and talking with other people about their practice and trying to tune in to that voice, it -hmm. seems that even when we do hear it, we doubt it immediately. (laughs) Like we think, oh, well, you know, am I just imagining it? Am I giving myself the answer that I that I really want? But do you feel that the it's easy to discern where that that specific voice is undeniable? I, I look a lot of people when they hear something they don't understand, figure out that they're not really hearing it. You know, right? But but the answer is if you if you sit long enough, not in one day, two days, or ten days you'll start to be able to discern what is you and what is the voice. Okay. And, and it does happen. And so being able to create a little space mm-hmm. by, you know, trying to slow down your thoughts, then you're, you're creating the vessel. Exactly. Because right? if, if, when you, when your brain is noisy, you can't get there. It must be calm. There, and there's it, a great, um, a quote in the the Tao Te Ching that made me think about that as I as I was reading this, you know, you can mold the clay into a vessel, but it's the emptiness that makes it useful. Exactly, a hundred percent. That's kind of what we're trying to do. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to say something that I get a chance to say before. I was in India uh, last year, and I was talking to a couple that their son was getting married, and they said that they match him. They match them, and I said match them, and I sort of like one eyebrow up kind of a thing. And she, I said, how do you do that? She says, we, we draw their charts from the moment that they were born. And if their charts agree on eight separate important points, then we allow them to meet each other. Okay? After she told me that, I said to myself, you know what? Maybe their system is better than ours because at least they're giving them a fighting chance to begin with. That's what they do. They draw a, a birth chart. That's great. And it kind of, I I would think it kind of gives, gives you a little bit of a roadmap, you know, where in, in, in our, in our system, not so much. (laughs) We're making making a lot of these mistakes. That's so interesting. So you spend, how long do you spend in, in, uh, in meditation, you know, in the morning, is it just like maybe 10 or 15 minutes or kind of naturally, however long you want to go? Exactly right. At least, at least 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the morning. But in the evening, I try to go to, not a lot, 20 minutes, you know. But, but it's so beautiful. If you get there, it's so beautiful, you know. It really is. Even if I can only reach that spot for, you know, a few seconds and you just are able to get that moment of, of stillness and silence, it, it really is helpful. So I'm, I'm working on it. I think that's why they call it a practice, right? Because call it a, because it's practice. Right? Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to continue, you know, and still work on that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your work on global spirituality. And, you know, I didn't realize that you were at the recent parliament of world religions in Toronto. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Yes. And I'm well, going to check it up at Omega and in Kripalo. And uh, yes, the, my whole message, and and I know this myself, I believe that until there's a place where peoples of all different religions, uh, not even religions, of practices, understand that each practice is its value in itself, but there's a, they must be able somehow to 
to understand and appreciate with respect the whole as one. Because the, the bottom line is the light is the same. Light is not any different. It doesn't mean that somebody has to change who they are. The opposite. They should stay where they are. But respect for the other person who's doing a different practice to reach the same goal. And it seems we're losing that so so much in kind of the trajectory that we're going into right now. And I was able to go to Parliament this year as well. I had never been to wow. the Parliament of World Religions. And I, I just have to share my experience with you because it was so profound to me. I, I spoke to, you know, Sikhs and Buddhists and pagans and uh, everybody. And I was so taken by the way everyone welcomed me to just share, you know, look, this is what I do to get to that place, to connect with what I feel is is the one, is source. You know, everybody shared their tradition. Not one person tried to proselytize to me or convert me or, you know, convince me that what I believed was, wasn't wrong. And I just, I, I was so, you know, so moved by that and just so grateful that I was able to experience learning from all those different people in that place. Yeah, I thought it was wonderful too. And that's the way it needs to be. Everybody on his own, everybody in his own way, with respect and dignity, and perhaps even to find some way that that the different quality of their religions or, or their or their practice can work together. And just you know, you know, <laughs> talking about the time that we're in right now, you know, I've heard from other spiritual teachers that we're in a time of you know, some people have called it divine chaos, and that the turmoil that we're experiencing in the world right now is supposed to open the door, you know, to a time of greater peace. But it seems like we've always been in, in a time of chaos. I mean, if you look back at history, do you think there's anything different about what we're experiencing now? Well, you know, you know, in all due respect, that there's less poverty in the world than there, is, than there ever was, that there's less diseases in the world. If you look at the whole, you will find that things are as chaotic as it looks, better than it's ever been before, you know, on a whole, as a total framework. Right. And I believe that there's a polarity between light and darkness. So what we see is, as darkness right now, it's sort of like uh, taking a rug and smacking the heck out of it and getting all the dirt and garbage out of it so that eventually we can come to a time of this uh, harmony of light. And that needs to happen. And the, and my thing is the only way it can happen is if we grow to learn respect for each other, regardless of who we are, as long as we're in the right framework. Right. And that seems to be, you know, the golden rule, right? That should still apply. Treat yes, others, you know, as we wish to be treated. And, yes. and that's expressed in all the major world religious traditions that I've yes. seen, you know, yes. and also expressed in Kabbalah as well, right? Right. Exactly right. And, and I believe that, listen, I see the world as it exists. And yet I know that things like green energy, for instance, 20 years ago, who spoke about green energy? And the things that are happening out there are making us aware to, to, to have respect for the water, the waters, have respect for the earth. And, and, and we are being, you know, sort of, if you, I don't like the word punished, but we are, we're receiving what we put into Mother Earth 
when we, we, we fill them with garbage, we've got garbage out. When we pour things into our water, like oil, so we have water that we can't drink. But this is nothing to do with the creator. It has to do with us as human beings and human greed that's created all this chaos that we see out there. Right. No, that's so true. I, I see it. And, you know, I know you, you were speaking just recently at Parliament and you speak all over the world. You've established a lot of programs for kids and, and young people, you know, Spirituality for Kids International and Kids Creating Peace. And it, it seems like all the work that you're doing in that arena, you know, on the other side, it seems like hatred is, is also taught at a very young age, you know, extremist groups indoctrinate kids and, and teach them to hate people who are different. Right. And, you know, it's very important to start with the young, right? To start with our kids and, and just teach them these basic things, you know, the golden rule, love each other. I mean, do you have hope? Do you have hope in that in that arena? I, I do. I, I maybe am a Pollyanna, but I believe. <laughs> no, seriously, I believe that we can educate children. And if we can educate, I mean, who else is warming up? So we, we have to be able to give our kids spiritual rules of conduct, the same way as we give them rules, you know, regular rules. They have to have rules of conduct. Yes, this person is a different color than you. And yes, he speaks a different language than you do. And yes, he goes to a different place than you do. But you look at him, the creator, the light force of the creator. He has it too. Look into his eyes. Forget about everything else and see. You can see that these, these and the kids are so easy. They're adaptable. They're beautiful. You know, we have a, a guy, a, a person in our center in, in Germany, and he was a, a neo-Nazi when he was 16. And today he's a, a person inside our center teaching and working people and teaching them about Kabbalah and about love because we changed him. We didn't change him. The teachings changed him. Right. And he was just changed from within. And I, I just, it, I hope, I really hope that we're able to, you know, get kids when they're younger. And, but it seems like when someone is brought up in that kind of an environment at such a very young age, I mean, you, you said with that, the person you just mentioned, he was able to change and people even in that brought up in that rigid way, they still can change. Right. I mean, it's never too late. No, remember that the, this particular fellow, he didn't know anything about the other side. He was indoctrinated with all the negative things that they told him about these people. But when he realized, when he was able to open his mind to another world, he changed who he was. And, and he's, he's a beautiful human being today, you know. Um, I believe that people can change, you know. I believe that people, once they're educated or once they see once their eyes are open, they can change. And is this what you speak about mostly when you're talking about global spirituality? I mean, that's that's really what you mean, right? That that we can change. Yeah, and that not only we can, but if, if we do want this world to to continue, we we have to. We have. I don't see any choice. I don't see any choice because the the whole purpose of global spirituality is that. Whether I pray on my knees or standing up or lying down, we pray essentially to the same essence of the light. We want good for the world. So, and we, we must look at each other respectfully and with human dignity and find a way to do that. 
It isn't if you don't go to my parish, then you're not, you know, you're not in my group. Or, or if you don't go to my temple, then you're not in my group. You're in the group. You just, we pray differently. We act differently. We, we have certain rules of our own rituals, which are different. But our heart and our souls, it's the same. Right. You're in the group just by the fact that you're a human being, right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> We're in the group of humans. Exactly. Of human beings. Right. Well, we just have a, a few more minutes, but I did want to talk about the event that you have coming up in April at the Kripalu Center for oh. Yoga and Health in the Berkshires, just a beautiful place up there. And it's called Dance of Liberation, Kabbalah and Embodied Physical Understanding of the Self. So what does that mean? <laughs> what, what could I expect if I was going to that event? Well, actually, I partnered up with someone by the name of Parashakti, who's a beautiful human being, and she's created something which she calls the Dance of Liberation, which is free dance uh, and allowing yourself to go inside yourself in movement and in dance, and it's quite beautiful. I, on the other hand, will teach the internal principles of Kabbalah. Every day I will give another concept and do a meditation on whatever it is that we're talking about that day. She will then come along and try to implement the same thing, but now into physical motion, you know? And every day for four days, we will do a process of learning meditation and then dance. Which that I sounds so interesting. Is that similar? I mean, I, I understand what what you're going to be teaching, but we'll, it sounds like what she's doing is kind of something called trance dance in a way. Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed. It is like trans dance. Absolutely. But it's so beautiful. I, I mean, just the idea of being able to be with yourself and the understanding in movement of who you are. It's quite, quite something. Because we really are disconnected a lot of times from our bodies. And I mean, especially as women, we have such a distorted view of what we have to do, we have to be beautiful in a certain way and be weigh a, a certain amount and, you know, our, we can't have gray hair or any of that stuff. <laughs> you know, we can't age. <laughs> so, you know, it seems that we are so disconnected and that causes so much pain and, and takes us away from our, our true self and our spirituality. Right. Indeed. And can you imagine if everybody got up in the morning and said, hey, look at me, I'm just like the creator. And He's given me so much beauty inside of myself, and I'm really a great human being. I'm going to go out and do good for people today. If we could think like that in the morning, if we just, because, you know, people, I don't think that people understand that every time we make a thought and, and or say anything that's negative, we create, well, it's a whole different conversation, but right. we <laughs> entities, we create angels. So if I wake up and say, wow, it's a fabulous day, it, it will be. If I say the opposite, unfortunately, it will be. You know, I don't want to say that, but it's true. No, it's true. I mean, we do have that choice to make in whatever situation we're in. You know, we could perceive it to be, oh, this is a disaster, the, the worst thing ever, or, you know, look at things in a different way. Right, exactly. But every time we make a thought of this is a disaster or, oh, it's an awful day today and what am I going to do? We create that. We create that. Unfortunately, we create that for ourselves. Right. That's so true. And with this event, though, are you, are you hoping that the women that attend, you know, they'll be they'll be learning from you and, and studying some meditation? And, and Kabbalah, really, does it encourage, 
you know, us to kind of let go of those, those old thoughts of we have to be a certain way and look a certain way and, and the pressure, especially, I guess I'm, I'm saying more in the context of as women. I, we don't, we don't talk, well, we don't talk a lot about that 1% business because what we want to do, if we can awaken people internally, then it's natural that they, they see the external differently. And that happens only when they start learning their own spiritual essence. Well, this event is April 7th through the 12th at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in the Berkshires. You can find about that, find out all about that online. And Karen Berg, I'm so happy you were able to talk with me today and just educate me. And I'm I'm really interested in continuing to find out more about Kabbalah. And people can find you online at your website, KarenBurke.com, and they can also find out more by going to the Kabbalah Center website. Absolutely, any place. And Diane, it was my pleasure to talk with you, and I hope one of these days we'll get to meet each other. (laughs) I hope so. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.